scripture reading this morning will come from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, verse 6. We continue our uh, summer series in the Beatitudes. Uh, If you do not have a copy of God's Word, one is provided for you in front of you somewhere uh, underneath the seats. The Pew Bible page for this is page 807. Let us now give attention to God's Word as I read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. So far, we have looked at the three Beatitudes uh, that have commonly been called the Beatitudes of need. Poverty of spirit, mourning, and meekness. Now we come to what is commonly called the center, Beatitude. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. A New Testament professor of mine said this, if we know our sin and spiritual poverty, if we mourn over it and live meekly because of it, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's kind of a funnel that we've been pushed into that that our need is categorized, summarized, as being hungry and thirsty. And that is for righteousness. And we will see in the next three weeks that 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 pushes us out. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness, as people who who have been satisfied, what's that going to look like? Mercy, purity, and peacemaking. But this morning, again, we have the center a call to righteousness. So the same outline as the last several weeks. Firstly, our character. Secondly, our promise. And then third, our call. Firstly, our character of being called to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we have to ask, but well, what is that? Again, a New Testament professor of mine defined it this way. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means to seek it as fervently and regularly as we seek food and water. So in that definition of of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we have the the fervency, the, the urgency, but also the frequency that this is what I'm often going to be seeking. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson adds that righteousness is conformity to a norm, and that would be to to God's norm for our life. Not my own norm, not my culture's norm for what I'm supposed to believe, how I view myself, what I'm supposed to do. There's a recognition here in this beatitude that everyone is spiritually hungry and thirsty. That, that's a good thing. That's how we were designed. That's how we were built. We have a sense of the divine implanted in us, Calvin would say, because that's the way our Creator made us. He made us for Himself. But this beatitude is saying that our, our hungering and our thirsting spiritually is meant for Him for His ways, for His righteousness, but not, I would argue, simply for obeying His commands, but to be in a relationship with with Himself, with Him, 
psalmist says this in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. So that's actually just admitting what's true of everyone. We, we all are thirsting and hungering for Him. Not everybody knows Him. Not everybody is willing to admit that. But John Stott comments that righteousness has three aspects. Legal, moral, and social. The legal righteousness is justification, which is a right relationship with God. Moral righteousness is a righteousness of character and conduct, which pleases God. Social righteousness is concerned with seeking humanity's liberation from oppression or promoting God's cause in every sphere of life. Bottom line, I'm to live rightly according to Him. And that's all I should care about. All the time, urgently, with necessity. So that's what the poverty of spirit, the mourning over our sin, and the meekness with which we view ourselves has been shifting us toward. I am hungry and thirsty all the time, but it should be aimed at God Himself, at at His commands for my life, above all else. That, That I love Him, that I love what He's commanded, and that that transforms my conduct and how I treat creation and every other image bearer. But a question, why can't I do this very well as a Christian? What's holding me back? Well, as we've said, all of us, everyone, has a hunger and a thirst. But those hungers and those thirsts, those desires are often mis directed. They're not directed at God. They're not directed at His righteousness, His rules, at pleasing Him, serving Him. We go all over the place with ourselves and with others, so much so that, again, Calvin said that our hearts are actually idol factories. The desires that we have are not all bad. They're just misdirected They're misguided. It's related in a sense to what we saw last week in pride. We think God's wrong. We think we're right. What He commands us is misdirected, uninformed. We would do it better. So we just start committing idolatry thinking something else is right. I'm not going to do things conforming myself to His rules, to His Scriptures, to His commands. I'm going to tweak it. Do what I want. And Keller Uh, in a sense, uh, built this whole ministry on attacking the idols of money, sex, and power. With, With just that triangle, we misdirect all of our desires to say, well, those aren't bad desires. God created all of those things, but we misuse them. We misdirect them. We say, well, yes, I hunger and I thirst. But it's not for righteousness. It's for self-righteousness. To build my, my own brand, to build myself up, to put others down, 
to get whatever I think I need in the moment, regardless of what he commands. But St. Augustine was right. He's probably the most important Christian since the Apostle Paul. When he says, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. You and I are restless. We live in a culture that is restless and is looking for answers to all of our desires in all of the wrong ways. Yes, some of the desires are, are right, maybe even godly, but we do with them what we want rather than how He has commanded. And so the center of the beatitude becomes distorted and we're not going to be able to do mercy. We're not going to be able to act in purity. We will not be peacemaking. We will not be willing to be persecuted and still be faithful to Him. This will all fall apart if we're hungering and thirsting for ourselves just to fulfill our own desires and not to control them and to put them under submission to God, our King. But our character is supposed to look like this. To hunger and to thirst for Him and Him alone. To love Him and to serve Him with all that we have. That's aided if we finish the beatitude. As Jesus continues to say to His disciples, they shall be satisfied. That's the promise. Which again, this just comes with such a paradox, doesn't it? But I want to I satiate my own hunger and thirst spiritually. I know better than God. I need this right now. I need that right now. I would have done it differently. And you're telling me if I obey you, then I'm going to be satisfied? Yes, that's the promise. And the promise, just like the rest of these Beatitudes, is that we're going to be satisfied now, but also not yet completely. How are we satisfied now? Those of us who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness shall be satisfied now. The psalmist says in Psalm 107.9, God satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. It's not simply in the future. It's not simply in the past. That's a, that's a present reality that the psalmist is pointing to. Jesus had a major ministry harping on hungering and thirsting. Uh, if you've ever been to the Middle East, it's drier than the Delta, believe it or not. Absolutely dry. Almost near total wilderness, especially the Sinai Peninsula, but even in modern-day Israel, incredibly, incredibly dry. Jesus met someone in John chapter 4 who was actually looking for water. She went to a well. She was a sinner, a notorious one. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the lady was puzzled. They said, well, what... What are you talking about? Give me some of that water. 
I don't want to have to come to this well over and over again, and you're telling me the water that you have is going to bring me satisfaction right now? But then Jesus continues the conversation to push it beyond simply physical thirst. When he says, well, go and get your husbands. And Jesus starts to confront her over her spiritual depravity, her spiritual desires, which are rooted more deeply than her need to go to the well and get physical water. So that's what he was saying to her. Now I've come to give water that sustains life, and I'm the only one that can give it. Take it. He talks to her about the Messiah who is worthy of worship. He mentions forgiveness of sins. He continues in other narratives in John 6. He feeds the 5,000. He says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now or ever. John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. See, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy all of your desires. And he can do that now. He already promised to sinners, to people who were in need, hey, you're thirsty and you're hungry. There's something worse about you spiritually. You need satisfaction and there's no other way. How is there a way? Isaiah prophesied it, chapter 61. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I can pursue righteousness and hunger and thirst for it because I've been made righteous. How? We've just talked about how messed up we can be in our Christian life. I don't pursue righteousness. I'm not righteous. I don't view myself as righteous. He took off his robes of righteousness and lived a life in humanity, in humility, and was completely disrobed on the cross to pay for the sins of all of us that we will ever commit. But, but Isaiah says he has clothed us with what? Righteousness. He's made us righteous because he kept the entire law his whole life. And on the cross, as he died and paid the penalty for our sins, he handed over his perfect record of obedience, of righteousness, that we would be forgiven of all of our sins, 
All of the times we have hungered and thirsted for our own righteousness, for something else that he didn't command, and going against his commands, he died for that, and he paid for that, and he has clothed our nakedness with righteousness. Now, Shorter Catechism 33, justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us or received by faith alone. Remember, we defined righteousness. It's, it's doing things rightly. It's, it's a norm. It's a pattern of living toward God. We can do that because he's already given it to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But we recognize that's for now, but we don't experience that total righteousness, that, that total satisfaction yet. I, I shouldn't have to live for your pleasure, but I care about what you think. I, I shouldn't have to live for my own reputation and to try to build it up. Why would I care? I've been justified, but I care. Why do we do this? Well, part of it is that we've not been satisfied completely yet. That is the promise, though. We see Revelation chapter 7. Hunger no more, neither thirst any more, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. That's a promise. That's a prophecy from the Apostle John to say, that's our future. That as we hunger and thirst for righteousness now, as we face temptation and fight off our sin now, that's, that's coming. Revelation 21. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Because he's already paid. It's all going to be free. And there will be no sin no struggle, no temptation, no more hunger and thirsting and struggling and striving to grow in sanctification. We will be made holy. That's why there's a river of life in Revelation 22. 2 Peter 3, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There will be complete spiritual satisfaction, so much so that I won't need anything. I won't desire anything. I will have everything. Why? Because righteousness will dwell there. Why? Because righteousness, who is Jesus Christ, will be there physically with us, resurrected, forgiven. That is our promise. There will be no need anymore. Because we've been promised this, what's our call? How do, we, how do we cultivate this hunger and this thirst for righteousness in our own life, knowing that we have already been satisfied? Uh, firstly, I would say we have to continue to grow in being satisfied with His righteousness. We regularly experience hunger and thirst physically, 
So we regularly still experience hunger and thirst spiritually. Even though that's been permanently, eternally satiated, we're actually called as Christians to grow in this, to recognize, I've not been completely satisfied yet, so I, I need to seek growth and righteousness more and more. But how? Larger Catechism 154 calls the ordinary means of grace, word, prayer, and sacrament. And those are how Christ communicates His benefits through the church, through the Spirit. But who did Jesus say the Spirit was? The person who has living waters, who lives in all of us. And the larger catechism continues to say these means of grace, the reading and the preaching of the Word is made effectual by the Spirit of God. The sacraments are effectual only because of the working of the Holy Ghost. How doth the Spirit help us to pray? Well, He does. He's already given us a well of living waters inside of us because Christ gave us His own Spirit. That as the Spirit uses Scripture, us praying to Him, communicating His benefits to us through the sacraments, we're shown more and more what righteousness is. How we lack it. How we've already been satisfied through payment of our penalty, through Him keeping the law for us. Our love for Him grows. Our sin becomes more manifest as we see it. But so does the cross in our lives. And so like Regular water, in my experience, tastes way better after a run. So as we look at our own sin continually, and we imbibe of these means of grace in our life, Jesus becomes sweeter, knowing that He's already satisfied all of our needs, wants, and desires and He will completely one day. Therefore, I want to grow in that and get more Jesus. But finally, our call is then to go and feed the hungry and the thirsty. By that, I don't yet mean uh, physically in mercy ministry or outreach ministry. That's next week. I mean, to piggyback on Psalm 107 again where it says, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things." Brothers and sisters, we could think about people in our own life, in our own workplaces, our own extended families, our own neighbors, who, as the psalmist says, are wandering in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul faints within them. But you and I have been made righteous. You and I have been shown where our hunger and our thirst is ultimately directed toward, which is the cross. You and I have received living waters 
that will spring up into eternal life. And the question for us this morning in our call is, are we willing to go? Maybe even across the street, maybe down the hall, to redirect the sinful desires of our friends and our family away from things that will never eternally satisfy to the one who can. May we be like Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Your soul will delight in the richest affair. Come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. Let us pray together. Well, Jesus, we read those verses from the prophet Isaiah who ministered in a very difficult day, but he was given wonderful promises of the Savior. Lord Jesus, we minister not simply among a people of unclean lips like Isaiah, but a people who are thirsty, a people who are hungry, a people who are idol factories. And Lord Jesus, you have given us the Spirit who is living waters. Refresh us in the gospel. And as we leave this place, may you use us to refresh those whose souls faint within them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.